All right. Hello, Christ community. Glad all of you are here. Uh, greetings to our West Campus that meets at Northridge High School and our Traditions venue. Glad all of you are here. You know, if you're relatively new to Christ community, I want to personally invite you to the Discover Christ community class happening in a week and a half on a Wednesday, November 8th. I'm going to be a part of that class facilitate, helping facilitate and I uh, would love to meet you and hear your story and you can kind of hear more about Christ community, our story, our journey and where we're headed. So again, I just want to personally invite you to sign up to register for Discover Christ Community. So if you have your Bible or Bible app, feel free to turn to Luke chapter 12. We are in the midst of a journey through the book of Luke, and we're calling this series Reality Check, because in, the, in these middle chapters in Luke, Jesus gives us several reality checks, exposing areas in our lives where we often find ourselves drifting from Jesus' perspective. And the passage that we're looking at today in this passage, the reality check that Jesus is talking about has to do with his second coming. Now, the body of Christ uh, often needs a reality check in this particular area because there is a portion of the body of Christ that seems to be obsessed with figuring out when Jesus is coming back. Uh, we just had another occurrence of this uh, a few weeks ago, a group of people who thought Jesus was coming back September 25th, and of course they were wrong. Um, um, and, and it made all the news because it didn't happen. And Christians, once again, looked like total idiots uh, to the world. And so just a heads up, if someone says they know the day when Jesus is returning, they don't, okay? Because Jesus said over and over again that we won't know the day of his return. So if Jesus doesn't want us focusing on figuring out when he's going to come back, what does he want us focusing on as it relates to his second coming? Well, that's what he talks about in Luke chapter 12, <clears throat> verses 35 to 48. In this passage, Jesus shows us how we are to live our lives in this season of waiting for his second coming. What should our focus be? Now, there are actually two things Jesus urges us to be focusing on as we wait for his return. The first is revealed in verses 35 to 40. Let me read this. You can follow along in the screen or in, on your, uh, in your Bible there. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning. Like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose, the, whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready because the son of man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. This is God's word. And just a quick quiz here to see if we're paying attention. Will we know when Jesus is coming? No, we will not, okay? He couldn't be any clearer in this passage and many others. So, so how does Jesus want us to live as we wait for his coming? Well, in this passage, Jesus describes this scenario where the master of a household is at a wedding banquet and his servants don't know when he will be returning. It could be in the middle of the night. It could be at daybreak. They don't know. 
By the way, are we going to know when she, no, okay, I'm not going to, I'm not going to ask that again. But um, so this is a picture of our scenario. Our master, Jesus, has left this earth in his physical presence. He is with the father in heaven and we are waiting for his return. And honestly, we're waiting a long time. It has been a long time since Jesus was here the first time. And Jesus acknowledges in this parable that in, in this time of waiting, we can easily get distracted by other things. But Jesus doesn't want that for us. He's very clear on what he wants us to be doing. Look again at verse 35. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning. Now, this phrase, be dressed, ready for service, in today's terminology means to fasten your belt, okay? In that day, people wore loose-fitting robes because of the heat. But when they needed to do something, when they needed to take action in some way, they would tie up their robe, right? And they would tuck it into their belt. That's what Jesus is describing. He wants us to be ready for, for action, right? To be ready for action. And, and what he's describing here is really a particular heart posture, which is explained more fully in one of the words that he uses in this section to describe, or, or, or the words he uses for servant. There are a couple of different words that he uses here, but one that he uses in this section is the Greek word doulos, which literally means slave, it refers to a person whose will is completely consumed in the will of another. See, that's the heart posture Jesus is urging us to have in this time of waiting. In this fallen world we live in, where brokenness and pain and evil and disease are a regular occurrence, Jesus is saying, fix your heart on me. Align your will with mine. Well, how do we do that? Well, the answer is in the other phrase Jesus uses in this verse. Look again. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning. Keep your lamps burning. What a great image this is. Now, obviously, in that culture, they didn't have electricity, so they needed to keep oil in their lamps so that their lamps wouldn't burn out as the night wore on. Their devotion and focus on their master was actually represented by whether or not they kept their lamps burning. This was a sign of their devotion to their master. Now, this imagery is it's, it's pregnant with meaning for us in our seasons of darkness and waiting when we're struggling with some sin that we can't seem to overcome or we're struggling with feelings of anxiety or depression that we can't seem to shake off or when we find ourselves in a situation that is not what we envisioned for our marriage or for our vocation and disillusionment begins to, to settle into our hearts. When we find ourselves in these seasons of darkness and waiting, Jesus says to us, keep your lamp burning. Keep your lamp burning. In other words, what Jesus is urging us to do in this season of waiting is to cultivate a passionate devotion for him to cultivate a passionate devotion for Jesus, which is so important. See, what often happens in our times of darkness and despair is that we withdraw from the very things that we need. We, we withdraw from these life-giving, spiritually life-giving things. We stop going to church, right? We stop attending our e-group. 
We stop listening to worship music. We stop spending time with the Lord in, 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 in his word and in prayer. I mean, it's so ironic. It's so ironic because we withdraw from the very things we need the most, the, the things that will pour oil into our lamps and pour life into our hearts so that our darkness doesn't become overwhelming, but instead is filled with the light of Jesus' presence. So I've, I've been facilitating this uh, six-week um, men's e-group experience every Tuesday. We're right in the middle of it right now. Every Tuesday morning at 6 a.m. And I've been so encouraged by the, the number of men coming out and, and what God is doing in, in our hearts as men. It's been really cool. But one of the guys who's attending this, he recently, he's, he recently shared, actually this last meeting, he shared with someone after the meeting, he shared about how significant and life-changing this time had been for him that these weeks had been for him. But then he said this, even with how powerful this has been in my life, I almost didn't come this morning. I almost didn't come this morning. It was a battle to get here. See, that's our reality. That is, every one of us, that's our reality. In this season of waiting for Jesus' second coming, right? Waiting for everything to be made right. In this season of waiting, one of the enemy's biggest weapons is apathy. It's apathy. We just feel this pull to stay home, to sleep in, to not engage. We're tired. Let's not go to church today. Let's not go to our e-group tonight. I'm just tired. And we slowly begin withdrawing from things that we know, we know are valuable. And our life experience would say these things are valuable. But in that moment, we just don't feel like doing it. We just don't feel like going and see, the, the impact, the impact of those little decisions over time is huge, huge, which is why Jesus is urging us here to be intentional about cultivating our passion and our devotion for him, doing things that will keep the lamp burning, doing things that will keep our lamp burning with the oil of the spirit, right? Now, there's something absolutely amazing totally unexpected that happens in the story that Jesus is telling. Look, look again at verse 37. It will be good for those servants. That literally means blessed. It will be blessed. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready. Now, do you hear what he's saying? He is not saying what everyone expects him to say. He is not saying, hey, once the master comes home, he will sit in his recliner and let his servants bring him his favorite comfort food and the remote control. No, that's not what he says here. Jesus says, once the master comes home, he, the master, will dress himself to serve. And we'll have the servants recline at the table. And he will come and wait on them. Now, what is Jesus talking about here? What is he talking about? He's talking about how one day in heaven, after he has come again, right? One day in heaven, we will feast with him in intimate communion. He, he will honor us as his very own and will serve 
us. I don't even know what that means exactly, but it says here, he will serve us. I don't know what that means. What I do know is that Jesus here, he wants us to understand how much he loves and values his watchful servants, how much he loves and values those whose hearts are focused on him, those who are continuing to keep their lamps burning with a passion for him, even in this long period of waiting when we wonder, is he even coming back? It's been so long. But Jesus values those servants who are waiting for him in this way, whose, whose lamps are filled with oil, and they're continuing to fuel their passion for him. They're longing for him. See, one day he will welcome us to his banqueting table and we will feast with him forever, which is worth waiting for. It's worth keeping our lamps burning for him. So let me just ask, how is your lamp doing? How is your lamp doing? Are, are, are you intentionally cultivating your passion and devotion for Jesus? Or are you kind of letting apathy settle in? What's the use? That's a really, really important question. Jesus says it's a critical question in this season of waiting for his return. Okay, so that's one thing Jesus urges us to be about in this time of waiting. But that's not all. There's another part of this passage, another very specific response Jesus is looking for as well. Look with me beginning in the next verse here, verse 41. Peter asked, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? The Lord answered, well, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. Okay, so in this second portion here, this second part of the passage, Jesus transitions here from using the analogy of a, a passionate, watchful servant to a different analogy, to the analogy of a faithful manager. Verse 42, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants. Okay, there's a big difference between being a servant and being a manager. A servant has no other responsibility except to serve the master, right? Do this, go get that, etc. But a manager is in a much different position. A manager has been entrusted the responsibility to manage the master's possessions and business interests and servants. That, that's how Jesus describes our position as it relates to God in this season of waiting for the second coming. Not only are we to cult cultivate a passionate devotion for Jesus, Jesus also wants us to faithfully manage the resources that God has entrusted to us. See, God has placed each one of us in the position of manager. 
a manager of a certain portion of his resources on earth to help see that his kingdom agenda advances. Now, in this particular parable we just read, the master is entrusts, or excuse me, the manager is entrusted with the responsibility of making sure that all the servants are fed, making sure that the master's servants are taken care of. And this is really a beautiful picture of what ministry is, right? I mean, ministry is using the resources God has entrusted to us to help meet the needs of other people that God cares about. So here is a critical truth. We're going to get to the rest of this passage. It's going to be reinforced all along the way. But here is a critical truth that all of us need to understand. You have been called by God into ministry. Every one of you here, every one of you, you, each one of you has been called by God into ministry. God has entrusted you with resources, unique resources that he wants you to use to minister to other people that he cares about. He wants you to manage these resources in a way that enables ministry to happen. In other words, our spiritual lives are not ultimately about us. They are about serving the one who gave us life. And if we don't understand this fundamental point, we are missing something huge in terms of what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. We're missing something huge. See, if we think our lives are all about us, our agenda, our desires, our happiness, making sure we have all the comforts and the leisure time that we need. If, if, we're, if we think that's what life is all about, we, we, we're going to miss out on what Jesus truly values. See, Jesus came to serve. He came to serve, not to be served. And he calls us to serve others. As we wait for his second coming... We are to be faithfully managing the resources he has entrusted to us by serving others for his sake. Okay, so what are these resources? Well, they include any number of things. Earlier in chapter 12, um, the last couple of weeks, Jesus, or as we've been looking the last couple of weeks, Jesus urged us to use our financial resources for his kingdom. And that's certainly one aspect of being a faithful manager. Are we using the financial resources he has given us? Are we using that to minister to others and to further the, king, the king's agenda? But it goes beyond finances. It includes our spiritual gifts. It includes our abilities. It, it includes our, our experiences and our personality and our, and our passions. See, every one of us here, Every one of us has a unique combination of all sorts of abilities and gifts and experiences that God has given to you, uniquely to you. You're a unique combination of all of those things in you. It's a unique expression of God's heart in you. And he wants us, he wants each one of us to use those things to help other people grow in their relationship with him. So here's the critical question. Is that happening? Is that happening? Are you using the gifts, the abilities, the experience that God, the experiences that God has given you? Are you using that in order to minister to others, to serve others? And if not, why not? If you're not doing that in any way, why is that? 
Well, Jesus, in this parable, Jesus describes a manager who chooses not to manage the master's resources very well. So why did he choose to live that way? Well, look at the next verse, verse 45. But suppose the servant says to himself, my master's taken a long time in coming. And he then begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. See, this manager has forgotten his purpose. He has lost sight of his master's priorities and calling, and so he just decides to do what he wants to do. He treats other people poorly, and he goes out and gets drunk. I mean, it's this vivid picture of self-centeredness. With my master out of the picture, I'll just do what I want to do. I mean, that, that describes the tendency, really, in all of our hearts, right? This tendency in this season of waiting, we easily lose sight of our master and his priorities for our life, this call to serve, and instead we build our lives around our agenda and, and our desires. We become more self-focused rather than serving-focused. We, we become more me-focused rather than other-focused. And the consequences of this are not good. Jesus doesn't sugarcoat this at all. Verse 46 the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he's not aware of. He will cut him into pieces, cut him into pieces and assign him to a place with unbelievers. The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows." Now, we got we to gotta realize Jesus often uses hyperbole. He often uses kind of exaggeration to make a point. Like, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. I mean, he doesn't literally mean to cut off your right hand, okay? Uh, and so, so there are times when Jesus uses this imagery, but for a reason. It's a, it's a teaching tool. He uses it for a, a reason. And he's doing that here, cutting a person up and all these things. This is hyperbole. He's using it to, to make a point. But we dare not miss the point he's making. Here's the point. What you do with your life on earth matters a great deal to God. What you do with your life on earth matters a great deal to God. How you invest your time, your gifts, your abilities, your finances, these things matter to God. See, in this time of waiting, when we can be tempted to, to focus more and more on ourselves, you know, we can, we can be tempted to do that. In this time of waiting, Jesus urges us to view ourselves as managers. He, he urges us to be faithfully managing the resources he has given us rather than just using those things, you know, for our, only for ourselves. It's a huge paradigm shift of how we view our lives. Now, Jesus summarizes this point in the, the final verse of this passage, verse 48. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. See, God expects us to use the gifts and abilities and resources we have been given for the purpose of advancing his heart of advancing his values. He has entrusted us with these things to manage and use wisely and faithfully for his sake in ministry to other people we have or other, other, to other people around us. And notice, 
according to this verse here, the more resources we have, the higher the expectation. Now, it's just talking about money. No, it's not, it's not just talking about money here. The more resources we have in terms of time. You know, people, oh, I'm retired. I'm not going to, I've been ministering all my life. I'm, I'm taking a break. You know, I'm not going to do that. Well, hold it. You've been entrusted a resource of time now. And how does God want you to use that resource, right? It's whatever stage we're in life, there are resources we have. And the more resources we have, the higher the expectation. Whether it's spiritual gifts, time, experience, finances, whatever. The more resources we have, the higher the expectation. See, God expects us to use these resources for the growing of his kingdom in people's lives. Which brings us back to this critical question. Are you fully using the gifts and the abilities and the experiences that God has given you to minister to other people? Are you fully using these things to minister to other people? Okay, now, if the answer is no, you know, we're sitting there thinking, man, I'm really being challenged here. Maybe the answer is not what you want it to be. You know, the answer is no, you're not really fully leveraging some of those things. How can we remedy that? How do we get more involved in serving his kingdom, in his kingdom? Where do we start? Well, I think the best place to start is with your heart. What need or area of ministry are you drawn to? Is it little kids? Is it teenagers? Is it senior adults or single moms? Is it hospitality? Is it refugees? Is it people in poverty or experiencing homelessness? Is it a young mom's or young dad's, you know, situation or, or single adults or maybe children with special needs or maybe the video we saw earlier and we just thought of these middle schoolers that have had all these broken promises and then our heart was just going, oh, you know, th th there's something stirring. See, that question, look at our heart first. That question can help us identify the where. Because some people, I don't even know where to start. Where do I start? Well, listen to your heart. If you don't know where to start, look at your heart. Listen to your heart and say, where are you drawn? What needs are you drawn to? So that's the where question. That helps us identify the where God wants us to serve. So once you identify the where, then look at your gifts and your abilities and your experiences and ask, okay, what can I offer in this particular area? What expert, unique experiences or abilities can I offer in this area? My time, my ability to make people feel comfortable, my experience with grief, my, my ability to cook, my knowledge of scripture. I mean, whatever it is, what, what can I do to help in this area of a need? And then just go for it. Go for it. Try something. Serve in some way. I can honestly say, um, just as pastor, I can honestly say that every area of ministry in our church has need of volunteers. Even if it doesn't look like it, trust me, they do, okay? Every area, worship arts or youth or hospitality or children's ministry or prayer or kids' hope or whatever, every area, there, there are numerous opportunities just in this church, this body, numerous opportunities in which you can serve and help build up the body of Jesus. When you serve in that context, you're building up the body of Jesus, so by the way, if you're interested in moving towards this, there's, a, there's a, 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 a banner, a banner on our website that says serve, and you can click on that and just explore getting involved in any area of ministry. Now, now let me mention a very subtle and very significant barrier that often keeps people from serving in ministry. I, I bet dozens of us here wrestle with this, and that is our own insecurity. <clears throat> this is huge. Our own insecurity. It's that inner critic 
All of us have one, that inner critic that whispers to us, I'm not needed, I'm not that gifted, I don't have anything to offer, you know, all that stuff, it's all garbage. Every one of you has been gifted and called to minister in some way. Don't let the enemy rob you of that privilege by whispering to your heart that you're not gifted enough or you're not equipped enough or you're not mature enough. That's a huge one. That last one's huge. Oh, I've only been a Christian for two years. I'm not mature enough. I don't know enough of the Bible. That's a bunch of, you know what, right? The, the, The moment we become a Christian, The Bible says the moment you become a Christ follower, you place your trust in Jesus, at that moment you are given gifts, spiritual gifts to use in serving others. It is not about how much of the Bible we know or how long we've been attending church or anything. If you're a Christian, you are called by God to serve. You are now a minister for him. So go for it. Go for it. Now there's there's one other thing about serving that's easy to miss in this passage, because of the heaviness of this passage, you know, the, the language Jesus uses, it feels kind of heavy. And so there's something that I really want to draw out because I don't want us to miss this. It's so important. Look again at verse 43, which is describing the faithful manager. Jesus says, it will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Now, we saw this twice in the, in the previous passage just a moment ago. It will be good for that servant. It will be good for that servant. So three times it's mentioned here. This particular translation that we're using, the, the NIV translation, doesn't, it doesn't fully capture what Jesus is saying here. The literal translation of this phrase, it will be good for, the literal translation is the word blessed. Blessed. Same word Jesus uses in Matthew 5. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the merciful. It's the same word. And it is such, and I know it's overused a little bit in Christian context. Oh, I'm so blessed. You know, all that stuff. It's kind of overused. But it, it is so, from a biblical standpoint, the word blessed is so powerful. It's amazing. This word means to walk in the favor of God. To walk in the favor of God. One, one scholar defines blessed as the state of being marked by the fullness of God. Wow. Who wouldn't want that? (laughs) Who wouldn't want that? We all want to walk in the favor and the fullness of God. And Jesus says, when you use the gifts and resources I have given you to serve other people and to help other people, you get blessed in the process. You get to walk in the favor and the fullness of God. And this is so true. This is so true. I mean, I, I was talking with a man who's involved in our faith in action ministry, which is a ministry to help widows and other, uh, others in need. They go once a week, month on a Saturday morning and they fix things in their house and, and just pray with them and stuff. He, he had tears in his eyes. He had tears in his eyes as he was telling me about the woman that they had just helped that last Saturday and how impactful this had been in her family. And I mean, he was, he was in tears, tears of joy. When you are serving in an area of gifting and passion and you see how your life is making a difference in someone else's life for Jesus' sake, that is awesome. That is awesome. There is no greater joy than serving Jesus, using the gifts and abilities and experiences and heart that Jesus has given you to minister to someone else. Now, one other word of caution here, as we're thinking about, okay, where might we wait in? One other word of caution, don't overthink it. 
okay? <laughs> I think some of us are analyzers, and we get stuck in the analyzing. Don't spend too much time worrying about whether or not you have this right gift or do you have the right gift for that or all that stuff or what God's calling you to. Don't overthink it. Just, just jump in and see where you see a need. Just jump in and, 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 and just go for it. Where you see a need and you feel a tug on your heart, jump in. I was talking with a young man recently who um, just signed up for our Paths to Hope ministry training, which is a new ministry that we're starting where trained caregivers will walk alongside people who are experiencing brokenness and pain. So we're in the training of these caregivers right now. Um, but he was so excited to serve in this ministry. And so I asked him, well, how did that happen? How did you get in, sign up and all that? And he, he, he shared with me that about a year ago, he and his wife just stopped coming regularly to church not because they were upset about it. It just, just busyness and life. They just got out of the rhythm of going to church. And so about six months ago, they looked at each other and said, we need to get back. We need to get back to this church thing. We need to get back to regularly attending church. And so they started coming again. They decided to pour some oil in their lamp, right? Um, and, and so during one of those services, just a few months ago, then he heard about this new ministry. And initially, his heart felt drawn to this because of his own life experiences. Um, he's in his mid-20s, but has just had some brokenness in his own life. And he wanted to help others who were walking through the things he's walked through. But he told himself, he told himself, I'm not sure I'm gifted for that. Um, there are probably more spiritually mature people than me. And so he didn't do anything initially, didn't do anything. But then he said to me, he kind of sat on that for a couple of weeks, just this... And he, he realized a few weeks later, he said, I had this realization for a long time, I'd been praying about my purpose and how God, want, how God could use me. And I've been waiting for this grand answer, you know, but I realized, he said, I realized what, what was that? What am I waiting for? I don't need to have this huge change the world opportunity come up. And I don't, I don't even need to have this clear idea of my gifts. I just want to help people. And I feel like if I'm moving towards that, the gifts I need will find me. That's a smart kid, you know? Uh, I mean, that is just really wise. He said, you know, the, once I'm moving towards these things, the gifts I need, they're going to find me. God's going to give me what I need. And so he said, I decided to give it a shot, sign up for this ministry, and I, I can't wait to help people in this way. And he's going to do awesome in this ministry. He's going to do great. See, that, that's really all that God is looking for. Not a specific quota of activity. And if we don't meet that quota, he's going to be angry. No, no, no. That's not, that's not what this is about. What God is looking for is a willing heart. A heart that says, I want to serve you, Lord. I want to serve you, Lord. I want to help others. And I'm willing to say yes to a specific ministry opportunity or need. So as we live in this broken and messed up and dark world, and we're awaiting the coming of the Lord Jesus, Jesus is asking us, are you engaged in what I want you to be engaged in? That's what he's asking. Are you engaged in what I want you to be engaged in? First of all, are you cultivating a passionate devotion to me? Are you, are you doing that? And, and just putting oil in your lamp. And out of that growing passion, are you faithfully serving others with the gifts and the abilities and the time and experiences that I've given you? Jesus says three times in this passage, he says, you will be blessed. 
<laughs> you will be blessed if you do these things, both now and throughout eternity. There's blessing here. All right, let's pray together. So Holy Spirit, thank you for your word that brings life and challenge and, and is so instructive and helpful. And we just open our hearts right now to you. So as you're, as you're just kind of waiting in the Lord's presence, we just want to respond a little bit here. And let me just remind you, if you're, if you're not a believer in Jesus, if you're just here kind of observing and maybe you're an atheist or an agnostic or whatever, we're so glad you're here. I don't want you to feel any pressure to pray with me here or whatever. Um, just You can just sit back and relax. But for those of you who are followers of Jesus, I want to, I want to encourage you. There are a couple questions I want us just to ask the Lord or ask before the Lord. Here's the first question. How fully is my lamp burning? Just ask that of your life. How fully is your lamp burning for Jesus? Are there places where apathy is creeping in? Maybe things you've stepped back from, things that are life-giving. Maybe you stopped praying. Maybe you've stopped attending a small group. Maybe whatever it is, are there places where apathy has just been pulling at you? And Lord Jesus is just saying, hey, let's, let's, just, let's pour some oil in that lamp. And so God, I want to pray for each one of us in that place. We all get pulled that direction. I pray you would pour in your oil. It's already there. It's already there. The spirit is within us. But there are times, Lord, we acknowledge we, we need to take intentional steps. It's not about earning your favor. It's just about intentionally putting oil in our lamp, the things that bring life and, and restore our passion for you. And so I pray for that. God, whatever that looks like for each one of us here, you would help us do that and get back on track in that. And as we do that, would you pour out your fire, your, your passion in our hearts, your dev our devotion, just stir that devotion for you. So that's one response. Second response here, just to kind of sit with before the Lord, am, am I involved? Am I using, am I fully using the resources, God, that you have given me in terms of spiritual gifts and abilities and time and experiences? Am I using these things for you? Am I managing your resources well? Just ask the Lord that. And however he answers, just say, Lord, what do you want me to do in response? What does that look like? Tell the Lord, I'm willing, I am willing to serve. My heart is willing. 
and I offer you my life. Show me what that next step looks like, Lord. So God, I, I pray for our hearts just to see this privilege in this time of waiting, to see this privilege of serving you and managing these resources and being blessed as we serve others. God, there's so many opportunities. I pray for each one of us. If we're not engaged as much as we really feel like we want to be or that you want us to be, Lord, I pray that you would guide us, have the courage just to move towards whatever that is. So God, we love you, Jesus. We long for your return. But in the meantime, in the waiting, we want to keep our lamps burning and we want to, we want to continue to be faithful and wise managers of the resources that you've given us, investing these things in the advancement of your kingdom. We love you. You are worth all that and more, Jesus. So we offer our lives and our hearts to you right now. And God, we offer them to you, not only in prayer, but also in worship. Lord, these, these next few songs, we want to sing to you in response to your word. So why don't, we, why don't we stand, whatever campus you're at here, whatever place you're at, go ahead and stand. And uh, if you want to sit down at some point, that's totally fine. But let's just set our hearts on the Lord Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We worship you.